All right, we are wrapping uh, or closing in on the conclusion of this book, uh, another week or two, and we will uh, finish up 1 John. Uh, it's been a fun, fun study. This evening, we are going to be looking at uh, what I've titled The Prayer Life. Look at 1 John chapter number 5, and we are addressing this evening verses 14 through 17. And, uh, you know, Christians, as Christians, we know that we are supposed to be people of prayer. We know that that is what uh, is, you know, we're called to do that. We're commanded to do that. We, we know and uh, understand that we're supposed to do that. But how often uh, do we follow the command to pray because we know we should, but we really lack confidence in our prayers? How often do we lack confidence in our prayers? I mean, we're, we're praying, but do we really have that praying in faith believing? Do we have that confidence in our prayer? Maybe we lack confidence because we wonder if we really are worthy of God hearing our prayer. As an individual, we think, well, you know, I mean, God, you know, he might answer the prayer for Justin, but I mean, he's not going to answer it for me. Or he might hear Miss Trudy's prayer. I mean, she's passionate about the things of God, but I mean, not me. Who, who am I? Why, why would God hear my prayer? Maybe sometimes and Satan's the one that puts those thoughts into your heart and mind because we have the word of God that God hears our prayer. And we're going to look tonight at the confidence we can have in Christ. But, uh, you know, I want you to know um, sometimes maybe we, we don't have confidence because we feel like on ourselves we're not worthy. Maybe sometimes we don't have confidence in our prayers because we feel that the prayer that we're praying is not worthy, or that maybe we're not praying as we ought, uh, maybe not praying in the exact same, the right way. I mean, I've had many, many questions over the years about prayer, and how do I pray, and how do I know if I'm praying right, and is this prayer okay to pray for something like this, or, or pray for something like that, and so sometimes maybe our prayers themselves, we may think, well, I know God hears me, but uh, is this a prayer that God would want to answer? Well, this evening, we're going to look at this, the prayer life that's addressed in this text. And look with me at 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14. First of all, we see this evening the privilege of prayer. He says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. Notice the, our confidence is in him. It's not in us. It's not in our ability to eloquently uh, come to the throne of grace and, and pray, uh, you know, with, with great profundity. No, it's confidence in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Wow. You know, John has just concluded, we know that most familiar of verses there, verse number 13, that confidence that we can have in our assurance or the knowledge that we know we're going to go to heaven, that we know that we have eternal life. We have that confidence, and then he turns his attention to that thing that I think plagues many Christians and is a lack of confidence in our prayer life. I hope you have your eternity settled. I hope you've got that settled. There's no question in your heart and mind as to where you're going to spend eternity and that you do uh, know that you have eternal life. That's something that should be settled for everybody. 
But then he addresses something I think that many Christians struggle with, and that is confidence in prayer. We see, first of all, this confidence presented. Uh, To whom is it presented? Well, we know that it's presented to those that believe. 1 John there, 5.13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. We know that's who he's talking to. We know he's talking to the Christian, that he's saying, listen, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you've put your faith and trust in him, that you can have confidence when you pray to him. This is written to the saved. Listen, the unsaved can't have confidence in their prayer. They may be very sincere in their effort to pray, but they can't have confidence that God's going to hear or answer that prayer. That's just the fact of the matter is, Proverbs 15, 29 said, says that the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. He is far from the wicked. In uh, John nine thirty one, he says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. So beloved, if you are righteous, if you are worshiping God, if you're a doer of his will, you, you have confidence of your eternal security with Jesus Christ, you can come to him in prayer and confidently. But the lost man, the, the wicked man, the man that doesn't know the Lord, uh, he cannot come confidently to God. Now it's not that God cannot hear in a physical sense. It's not that God will not or does not hear him pray. We know that he hears the sinner's prayer. But there is the idea when we talk about the fact that God hears our prayer and that we come to him in confidence. It's not just that he physically hears us. It's that he hears us with an intent to help that he has an ear that's in tune with us, that he's ready to listen, but not just to hear physically, but with the desire and the intent to make a difference, to answer our prayer, call on me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. That's the hearing that we have with God. But you see the lost man, God will hear the prayers and physically he can hear. It's not that he cannot hear them, but he does not hear with the intent to help. That's what we see in the scriptures. And what a tragic place to be because you know there are so many in the world that pray to God and seek for his help in matters of sickness or family problems or situations that they face. And yet they've denied God, they've turned from God, they've had a hard heart against God and God says he does not hear them. It's a sad place to be. What a blessing for you and I to know that God hears us. What a foolish endeavor it would be to spend time talking to the air. In a few minutes this evening, we're going to stop and pull out our prayer sheets and take some requests. And everybody in here is going to bow your head and take a minute or two and Pray for the needs of the church family. I mean, what a foolish waste of time if there is not a God that hears and answers prayer. And so it would be a futile endeavor if indeed God did not hear and answer. But God hears. Jesus 
when he was praying to the Father, Jesus himself said, I know that thou hearest me always. I know that thou hearest me. Jesus had that confidence. And that's the confidence that we should have as believers. When we come to him in prayer, I know that you hear me. I know that you not just physically can hear, but that God is listening with the intent to help, that God desires and wants to answer our prayers. We see in verse number 15, that statement for you and I. He says, and if we know that he hear us, and if we know that he hear us. So Jesus said, I know that thou hearest me. And John saying here as a believer, do you know that he hears you? Do you know that he hears you? Is that something that is settled in your heart and mind? You know that he hears you? I hope so. What a privilege place to be as believers to know that God hears and answers our prayer. You know, beloved, it's only when one is confident in that truth, the truth that God hears us, that we will give ourselves to prayer as we should. For if you do not have confidence in that, you will not commit yourself to prayer. You will literally feel, it's, you might do it here because we're all going to be bowing our heads and we're all going to be praying. We're going to take a couple minutes and, and you'll, you'll do it because that's what everybody in here is doing. But unless you have that confidence, you won't be a person of prayer. Because you won't be having that belief that he really hears and answers. When you do, as in Matthew twenty one twenty two, he says, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. I mean, what an amazing promise. You know, sometimes my kids desire something of me. And Mary, mom, will say, well, ask your dad. And they'll say, never mind. I don't need it that bad. And she might, she might know that I would be happily glad to give it to him. We might have even talked about it already. And in my mind, I've already said or already told her that, you know, I was going to give it to him or going to do it for him or we were going to go there or whatever. And they don't ask. And she's like, I, I'm telling you, you need to ask, him, ask your dad, you know, and, and they don't ask. Why? Because there's no confidence there that they're going to get it. They went to mom because they know she's got a soft, bleeding heart. And they could come to her and put those puppy dog eyes on and, you know, plead with her. And, and she's going to give in and let them do it or give it to them or provide it, whatever. And then, then she pulls out to ask your dad. And they're, and they're like, oh, it's a lost cause. <laughs> Not going to happen. There's no confidence there, so they don't come to me. Beloved, when we truly have confidence in God that he hears and wants to answer, we'll be going to him. We'll be going to him. God is far more ready to hear than we are to pray. Because he longs for us to come to him. And he's looking for us to come to him. You don't have to beg him to listen. You don't have to implore him to, to give you his, his ear. No, he's in tune with you and he hears your heart's cry. 
We see not only is the confidence that's presented, but we see a condition that is present. You know, first of all, our prayer is to be offered. We need to offer a prayer. We need to give ourselves to prayer. You know, James 4.2 says, You have not because you ask not. There needs to be a time of prayer, a place where we go to him and we ask. I can't say that I really understand it. I know that God knows what we have need of before we even ask him, right? We, we know that. The Bible tells us that. He knows what you have need of. And yet, for some reason, in God's infinite wisdom and design, he has said, you have not because you ask not. God knows what the need is. God has the means to meet the need. God wants to meet the need, and he may be right there ready to do so. But we lack the confidence to come to him and say, Lord, please. Lord, can you? Lord, will you? So the prayer needs to be offered. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to be giving ourselves to prayer. Maybe the Lord desires this for the simple display of faith that's necessary for us to bow our heads and pray and talk to him. We know that without faith, it's impossible to please him. I think that there's many things that we miss in our life because we just don't come and ask. There's many blessings or provision or direction that we could have had had we just came and asked. You know, prayer doesn't have to be as hard as we make it sometimes. It really is, quite literally, just asking. Just going to him and asking, which is what he's told us to do. He's told us to come and to ask. But he has given us some conditions. If we would desire to have our prayer heard and with the intent of having it answered, there's a condition that is present here in this text, and there's some other texts that I'll give you, and this is not all-inclusive, but first of all, prayer, we know uh, from First John chapter 3, if you would look there, verse number 22, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 22, the first condition that John gives us, we're going to look at some that John gives us, in chapter 3, verse 22, he says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So here there's a condition given for answer to our prayer. And that's that we are obedient. That we keep his commandments. So that makes perfect sense. It's understandable that God the Father would desire us to be obedient children. And if we are not obedient and the relationship is broken and we're going our own way. That we really can't come to him in confidence. We can come to him and beg for mercy. We can come to him and ask and request uh, that he answer this prayer uh, because he's a good and loving God. He's going to point into your heart and say, okay, take care of this. We know that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that that relationship can be restored very quickly. We can be back on praying ground pretty easy. But it is required that we be obedient if we desire our prayers to be answered. We know that you don't have to turn there, but these are given to us by John. But over in the book of John, in John 14, 14, he says, If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
This is why we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. We, we pray and bring these requests. And the idea behind that is literally, are we praying with something that has the authority or the approval of Jesus Christ? I think sometimes we attach in Jesus' name to things that maybe Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not really for that. I don't really want that. That's not really my plan, but, you know, we, we are so used to saying in Jesus' name, and we, we throw that on there, but it's literally we're coming to the Father with the authority of Jesus Christ saying this is a request that Jesus is making. Sometimes one of my kids will go to one of their siblings and they will say, you need to do this. And they'll say, no, I don't. And they'll say, well, Dad said you need to do this. And they'll be like, oh, well, that's different. <laughs> you know, you came with the authority of Dad, and so now there's, a, there's some weight behind that. So we come to the Father and say, Lord, would you do this, do this, do this? In Jesus' name. With the authority of Jesus Christ, with the, all that Jesus we have, and, and we're told to come to Him with that authority, come boldly to the throne of grace. Because Jesus died and gave himself for us, and we've been clothed in his righteousness. So we're to pray. The second condition is to pray in Jesus' name. Um, we are to persist, persist in his presence is another condition that John gives us in John fifteen seven. He says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That's John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So he's saying, listen, abide in my presence. Spend some time with me. Have a walk with me. Talk to me about more than just your needs. Don't just use me as an ATM. Let's have a relationship. Let's have some love, mutual love going both directions. Let's, let's show and display that love. And listen, when you do that, when a need arises, yes, ask me for it. And I want to give it to you. God the Father says that. So we are to persist in his presence. And then we see in our text tonight that we are to pray in his will. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. This is the dilemma, right? This is the problem. <laughs> and, and I know you guys are so spiritual, you've never dealt with this in your heart and mind. But I come to the Father in faith, believing that my prayer request is going to be answered. And it's if I kind of like put this qualifier on the end. Like, Lord, if it's your will. Almost giving myself a way out. Almost like, well, if God doesn't answer, it's because it wasn't his will. We know we're supposed to pray in God's will, and so we can say, well, Lord, if it's your will, would you, would you do this? But we're to have a confidence that God hears and he wants to answer. But we are to pray in God's will. So how do we know if it's God's will or not? How do we know if I can pray for this? How do we know if this is something we should ask God for? We just pray for anything that comes into our heart or mind? Or, or what can we go to God with confidence and say, Lord, I know that this is your will. And so I'm asking you for this. 
Well, there's a few things that can help us with that. I think there's some things that we that we come to the Lord and maybe we can't have that confidence or you don't know for sure. And uh, I would not discourage you from still praying and asking. But there is some things that we can come to him and we can know that it's God's will. First of all, his word reveals his will to us. There are things in the word of God that are very clearly God's will, God's desire. When we pray for those things, we can do so with confidence, knowing that God wants to answer that prayer. So I ask you tonight for a little bit of audience feedback. With your knowledge of scripture, what would be something that you could come to God for? And pray with confidence, knowing that you're praying in God's will. Any examples, Tim? Wisdom. We know that. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. We know we can come to God and say, Lord, I need wisdom. That's a very smart thing for young men, young women to be praying for. For the salvation of men. We know that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, whether it's your family member or a friend or somebody down the road or somebody you met. You know you can come with confidence saying, God, will you save this man? Because you know God desires it, Andrew. Forgiveness of sins. We know we're supposed to come to him and ask him, will you forgive us? And we have confidence when we come and know that he does forgive. Anybody on this side? Putting pressure over your heads or... Say, well, they took mine. I was going to say that one. Ah, there's things that we know are the will of God. We know it's his desire for us. And we can go to him and know that he wants us to be praying for that. You know, he says, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers, right? Pray that God would send laborers, workers into the field to do the work of the ministry, to reach lost people with Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. There are many things in the word of God, and I would encourage you in your own private devotions to watch for those things. Maybe even start building a list, your own list, and say things that God wants me to pray for. That I know that he's gonna, that I'm praying in God's will because he's told me to pray for this, or he's told me this is what he wants me to do. And you can pray for that. Walk uprightly. That God would help us walk uprightly. God would keep us from evil. There would be many others, I think, if we could continue as we we kept chasing this down, I think we could find many things that we know are the Lord's will for us that we could come to him confidently and pray, Lord, I know this is your will. You don't have to wonder. Now, if I was praying for a Tesla, I might have to wonder if that was God's will for me. I think it would be, but you know, hey. You know. No, you know, you, there are things that the Bible's very clear that, that we know are God's will. Not only does the word of God reveal his will to us, so we know when we, when we see it in the word, we can pray confidently, but also the spirit of God guides us. 
This is where things that in our heart and mind we say, well, I'm not sure if I should pray for this or if I should deal with that or if this is something that I should bring to God and ask God for. And so it is the Spirit that guides us into all truth. In Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Doesn't that sound familiar? We say, I don't know if I should pray for this. I don't know if this is something that would be in the will of the Father, or really is this something that I should bring to bother God with? He says, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, which groanings with cannot be uttered. Verse number 27, he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's powerful. The Spirit is making intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So we know that we are supposed to come to God and pray in his will. And now we have the Holy Spirit that is interceding for us, I think in some respects, correcting our verbiage, (laughs) carrying it to the Father in line with his will. And ultimately, it's not, I'm not just saying you can just pray whatever you want and the Spirit's going to interpret and give God what. No, we're praying, but what we've got to do is let the Holy Spirit lead us. The Holy Spirit tell us, is this what God wants me to pray for? Obviously, I can joke about praying for a Tesla, and, and I know that's not, I shouldn't be giving time in my prayer closet to, to give me a Tesla, you know. That, the Holy Spirit tells you right away. We joke about it because it's almost comical. Well, that's obvious I shouldn't be praying for that. But there's some other things in your heart and mind you might wonder, well, should I be praying for this? And the Holy Spirit would tell you that's not God's will. And you need to yield to it. Obviously, we know that we're to pray for each other physically, and I'm going to deal with that a little more in a second, but um, I have had People tell me that they were praying for a loved one to be healed and that God settled in their heart and mind that wasn't his will. Obviously, they said, well, I desired for them to be healed, obviously, but I have sensed that it's not God's will. This is not what I should be begging God for. I need to be submitted to the will of the Father. So the Holy Spirit will guide you if you'll allow him to. And we see in verse number 15 here a solution that's provided. He says, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. What a joy to know that he hears and that he's going to answer. This promise that's given to us, provided we come to him following the conditions that are mentioned in 14. You know, this... The Word of Life movement has forgotten about the conditions. The Word of Life people, they, they like to talk about how they speak positive things into your life and how that they are going to say these things and, and what, I, what I'm going to say is going bless, to bless your life. And
talk like that. They, they believe if you just pray and ask God for anything. If you, if you really believe, you can ask God, God, give me a million dollars. Having a dream that I got a million dollars since I was about 14. What happened? They forgot the, the condition. You've got to pray in the will of God. Not just, you can't just say, oh, well, if I believe, if I have enough faith, God will make it happen. That's not what the Bible says. We've got to meet the conditions, but if we meet the conditions, I want, I want you to understand we have this promise. We have a promise that God will give the petitions that you desire of him. I, I don't know how to drive that point home. How to let it settle down in our hearts that we can go to God in confidence and know that he will give us the petition that we desire of him. He will answer our prayer. He will meet the need. We must just exercise the faith to come and to pray. Somebody said, We are so apt to think that prayer is asking God for what we want, where true prayer is asking God for what he wants. Asking in the will of God. We are apt to think prayer is asking God for what we want. Prayer is asking God for what he wants. So I want you to see, secondly, this evening, verses 16 and 17, we see the petition of prayer. What is it that we pray for? And there are many things that we can pray for, but in our text here, what does he tell us or implore us to pray for? He says, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin is not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Can I just say that what he's telling us to pray for is to pray for others. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel and pray, my prayer shall be for others. So when my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven has begun, I'll praise you for the crowns that I've won, but praise you more for others. Yes, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. We need to pray for others. You know, in chapter 2 of our first John here, chapter 2 and verse number 1, he says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. And we take great comfort in that, knowing that we have an advocate with the Father, which we know is Jesus Christ. Jesus is praying for us. But here we're told, if we see someone sinning, pray for them. To pray for them. This is back once again to a theme that John has over and over again, to love your brother. If you really love your brother, you're going to be praying for him. When you see 
that he is going the wrong direction. He's dealing with true intercessory prayer for others, for the fallen brother in Christ who needs someone to hold him up, not to persecute him, not to kick him when he's down, not to ridicule or criticize him, not to talk about him to other people. Oh, did you see what James did? Yep, I saw him at Walmart do that. I couldn't believe it either. And he says he's a Christian. We should pray for him. Should have been praying for him already. Instead of talking about him. He says here, pray for him. If you see a brother sin, this is to pray for others. You know, we tend to, in our prayers, be self-centered. But Paul says even to pray for others. In First Timothy 2.21, he says, I exhort thee therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. He says, hey, first of all, I, I, I say pray for all men. Supplications, prayers. We pray for others. We know that we pray for others when they're sick. James tells us if a man is sick, he should call for the elders of the church to come and to pray for him. We know that we pray for people that are ill, and, and we do. And we pray for people that are sick, we pray fervently for them. We have heartfelt compassion and love for them. I was telling one of the men in the church this last week that I've been asking God to help me not just pray in a matter of concern for somebody, but to really be an intercessor where I am able to put myself in their shoes and to pray as though it was my wife. Pray as though it was one of my kids that were sick. Pray as though it was a situation that I was dealing with personally. Give me that kind of... uh, compassion and fervency in my prayer that although it's not for me, but I would feel as it was for me as I pray for the members of Hunt Valley Baptist Church. And we feel for those that are going through this this illness or this struggle physically, but hear, hear me tonight, how much more important is it that we should pray for those who are ill spiritually? And yet many times we see people that are ill spiritually, they're dropping out of church, they, they're, they're missing, they're out getting involved in things we know we shouldn't do, and we're kind of like, oh well, uh, I don't know what we can do about it. Boy, I wish they were in church, I wish they would, oh, but if they were in the hospital, we would be on our knees and we would be begging God for their life. And he says here, when you see a brother going wayward, when you see somebody falling by the wayside, when you see somebody getting backslidden and they don't have the same fervency that they used to, understand that Satan's destroying their life and get on your knees and thank God for their life. That's what he says here. Do you see it in the text? He says, if any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin is not unto death. Beloved, this is a prayer for the very life, the spiritual life, and ultimately the physical life of a wayward brother. We need to pray for one another. 
This passage of scripture poses some real questions. People often wonder, what is this sin unto death? What, what is that and what is it dealing with? And there is some controversy as to ultimately what it is, and different commentators will uh, disagree in some respects. I will give you tonight what I believe it is, but first of all, what is it not talking about? There's some things we know it's not talking about. We know it's not talking about uh, the aspect of death that is, you know, all sin is unto death. For we know the Bible says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. We know that the natural man who is not saved, who is not a brother, we know that he is, because of his sin, going to die one day, not just physically, but going to die spiritually and be separated from God forever and ever. We know that it's not talking about that because we, we see clearly, he says, if you see a brother sin, that means if you see somebody that knows Jesus Christ, that is a believer, that has trusted the Lord and has been forgiven of their sin, and you see them, so we're not talking about a, a sin unto death in the aspect of what some people would call the unpardonable sin. Now, we know the unpardonable sin is unbelief. That is the only sin that God cannot forgive. Because if you'll believe and come unto him and confess your sins, he'll forgive them. But you've got to believe. And if you, if you won't believe, then you, you, you have committed the unpardonable sin. That's one he's not going to forgive. We know in some respects that all sin leads to death. But the Christian has accepted Christ and his Blood has atoned for his sin, so we know that he's not dealing with that. Neither is it dealing with sin that is punishable by death in a physical realm, in, like, let's say, for example, murder. If somebody does something here on earth and ultimately the laws of the land say it's punishable by death, it's not dealing with a sin like that. What I believe that we're dealing with here is that we're talking about a physical death, literally a physical death, that God says, if this brother continues in this sin, I'm going to take him home. I'm going to to kill him. First of all, we see that the Christian is supposed to be paying attention. He says, if a man see his brother in sin, it's something we need to notice. Means we're supposed to have an eye out for our brothers or sisters in Christ. If we see them heading down the wrong way, we observe it, we notice it. And we realize because of our concern that ultimately God is not going to put up with presumptuous sin. God is not going to put up with somebody that's going down the wrong road that is presumptuously continuing down a path of sin in defiance of God. And he's saying, listen, pray for them. Pray that they would come back before it's too late. We see examples of this in the word of God with people like Ananias and Sapphira. God said, they've they've crossed the line. They've gone too far. We're going to kill them. And he took them. We see it with Korah. We could go through the page of scripture. We see it many times where ultimately the the long-suffering mercy of God, which is so long, many of us would have long ago taken out some people. But God's still merciful, including to me. 
God's been merciful beyond any measure for me, then, then long ago I would have said, you know what, I'm done putting up with Caleb Petrell. He's, he's just crossed the line too many times, doesn't value and appreciate the, the sacrifice of my son, make a mockery of the grace of God, I'm going to take him home. But God's long-suffering. And we can come back to him at any time. But God says, if you're going to continue in that sin, ultimately it's going to be a sin unto death and God's going to take you. Moses prayed for the life of his people in Numbers 14. You can read the text. I think it's chapter, verses 12 through like 21 or something like that. But in verse 15, he says, now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man. He was praying. He says, God, I know you're so mad at these people. You're going to kill them all. Lord, please don't do it. Please don't. Allow us to go in and conquer the land. Allow us to be a testimony of your mercy. Allow us to be a testimony of your might. He said, let us go into the land and conquer the land. Lord, please don't kill them all. We need to pray for the erring child of God that he might return before it's too late. Now, note, if he's living, he's still a candidate for prayer. Some, some people have said, well, how do we know if they're sinning a sin unto death? If they're sinning a sin unto death, maybe we shouldn't be praying for him. Well, if they're still living, they're still a candidate of prayer. It doesn't matter how far they've gone away or how wayward they are or how far out of church they've gotten. If they're still living, they're still a candidate for prayer. Note, secondly, that if they're dead, they're no longer a candidate for prayer. You say, well, that makes sense. Uh, are you joking, preacher? No, there's people that believe you should pray for the dead. And I'm just telling you, according to this, look, look back at the, our verse here. He says, there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. He's saying there, listen, they've already done this. Don't pray for it. I'm not saying you should pray for that. I don't think you should pray. If somebody's already dead, they're no longer a candidate. And so we're not to pray for the dead. They've already passed on. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. We see, lastly this evening, that there's a practical truth that's reinforced in verse number 17. He says, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. He's saying, let me, let me remind you that all unrighteousness is sin. You can make it sound as spiritual as you want. You can make it look as good as you want. But all unrighteousness is sin. Him that knew to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The fact of the matter is just not doing something we know is good that we're supposed to do is sin. What he's talking about here, the sin unto death, is, is a presumptuous sin, a sin that we know is wrong, and we, in defiance of God, say, I'm going to keep doing it anyway. God says the time's going to come where I'm not going to put up with that anymore. And as God's people, we're implored here to be praying for one another with regards to that. But maybe we ought to look at it as ourselves personally. Maybe tonight you're not involved in presumptuous sin. Maybe you're not out, you know, just in defiance against God and say, listen, I know this is what God wants, but I'm, I'm going to do the opposite. It doesn't matter to me. But he says all unrighteousness is sin. And so is there some unrighteousness 
that needs to be dealt with? Are you a candidate for prayer tonight? You know, in 1 Corinthians, that chapter that's dealing with the Lord's Supper, those people that took of the Lord's Supper unworthily, he says there, there are some that are some weak, some sick, and there's some dead, or he says asleep in the text in Corinthians. So what I see there is I see a progression. There's a progression of those that are walking away from God. There's some that are weak. Are you weak tonight? You're, you're heading in that progression. There's some that are sick, and there's some that are asleep. Ultimately, God said, there's some among you that I took them home because they continued that road, down that road. There's some that right now they're sick because they've been going down that road. There's some that are weak because they've just started down that road. Those are the people we're supposed to be praying for. But I wonder about it of our own lives if we pray for I'm weak. Hastening hand of God make you sick. And let me just throw it out not all weakness or sickness is a result of sin. We know that from the book of Job. He was an upright man that shoot evil. Sometimes it's because God wants to test us or God wants to be glorified through our testimony. So it's not, don't think because you're sick or because somebody else is sick that they must have sin in their life. That's not what he's saying. But obviously what he's saying here is that there's a chastening hand of God. God's going to chasten you. If you're going down the wrong road, don't wait until God has to put you in a hospital. I can't tell you the number of times that I have been present or even because I grew up in a pastor's home and made hospital visits with my father. Guy laying in the bed said, Preacher, I know why I'm in this bed. I don't have to wonder. I know why I'm here. Pray for me. I need to get back to God. Don't wait till you get there. Come back to God now. Brothers and sisters, somebody in the church is starting to drift, starting to head down that wrong way. We need to pray for them like we like like they had cancer. That's what he says here. Instead of just saying, "Oh well, boy, I wish they would," around, we need to be fervently praying that God would do a miraculous thing in their heart.